Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The director's on the headset. Of course, you know, no one can hear him. Morgan can't hear him. Nobody else can hear him. But I'm hearing the director in my headset going, Tom, Tom, introduce him as him. I'm like, what? He goes, when you introduce Morgan Freeman, do it in his voice. <laughs> Hello, I'm C-3PO, human cyborg relations, and this is my counterpart. Shut up, Artu. I'm talking to Nick Fossos. Thank you. All right. You ready? Let's go. From Fox 4 News in Kansas City. Are we rolling? Are we on? Hello. I'm Nick Fossos. <laughs> this is Signal Hill. Performed over 300 characters from the movies to cartoons to video games. Also live announcing at the Academy Awards five times. He is a Kansas City native. He went to Los Angeles in initial stages of his career and then has come back home to Kansas City to continue his brilliant career. Folks, we welcome in the multi-talented Tom Kane. Tom's great to see you. Yeah. Provide my own sound effects. Hey, how are you? Nice to be here. Tom, thank you for being here. Well, uh, you, we were just uh, we were just chatting here before we, we came on and we were talking about uh, well, you're a part of the uh, Disney family now. Of oh, yeah. All of your work here was Star Wars, uh, Clone Wars, uh, all of the work that you've done there. And uh, and, and we've just recently uh, gotten the news here about who's going to be in the new Star Wars coming yes. up. Yes, yes. And we were talking about Billy D. Yeah. Isn't that cool that he's coming back? Oh, I think it's awesome. I mean, yeah, I, I run across him once in a while, and, you know, I'm... I'm in moments like that, I become just a starstruck teenager again. You know, it's like... You know, I, I mean, I have, you know, heck, I've known Mark Hamill for 30 years, and it doesn't matter. I, you know, for that first two and a half seconds, it's not my friend Mark. It's oh my God, it's Luke Skywalker. (laughs) So it doesn't matter how familiar you get. You know, I'm still a kid from Prairie Village, Kansas. That uh, is now that is so cool. So you know, we had uh, Billy D on our show. We had him a, a couple of years ago, and. I, unfortunately, we had a very tall chair. We should not have made him climb up that chair to get there. But <laughs> no. I, he's doing great now, isn't he? He's he actually is doing pretty good. I, I was just on an elevator with him a month or so ago and um, uh, was delighted to see that he was getting around better than he has in a long time. I mean, you know, he's got, uh, as any actor that uh, that's done the stuff he's done at the time he did it, mm-hmm. um, they've all got, their bodies are all completely effed up. I mean, they, you know, the the... The stuff that they used to let stars do, like stunts and stuff, they would never, never let them do that today. Never. But, you know, what passed for, ah, you know, I won't hurt him too bad. You know, just let him, just let Billy D do that one. <laughs> you know, so, you know, all these guys, you know, he, you know, they were, it was a different generation of actors, man. They were some rough and tumble dudes and, uh, a lot, you know, there was no CGI back then. When you saw Billy Dee take a punch, sometimes he took a punch, you know. And Gosh. So, yeah, he's, his body's a little messed up. But, um, uh, but yeah, he's doing great. I think, I think he's, uh, you know, between Billy just, I know, I know he wanted to do it worse than breathing. So he, uh, 
It's going to be cool. He's going to be great. I, I know with all of these movies uh, in, this, <clears throat> in the Star Wars franchise that you're a, a part of, you can't say a darn thing. Not, no. Uh, and But are you a part of the new one that is in the works that's, that's well, like starting shooting soon? Well, not. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's about it, I can say. Yeah, technically. Uh, yeah, I mean, but uh, honestly, until, and I'm not being coy, mm-hmm. I won't know exactly what I'm doing in it until it's done. Um, like, for instance, in uh, Solo, I, I did not know until I got out of the recording session exactly what they were going to have me do. And, you know, my kids are all like, you know, what are you doing? What are you doing? I'm like, I don't know. And they, uh, the, you know, they, and this does happen once. I mean, I'm one of my one of my adult kids literally just like two days ago said, you were a droid in Solo? I'm like, yeah. And he goes, the one that I'm like, yeah. And he goes, but why didn't you tell me that? I'm like, well, I don't know. I, I thought you knew. He's like, well, I, anyway, <laughs> this stuff happens. I mean, and, but, and, but the reverse happens, too. I mean, there are times when I find out I did something that I didn't know I did, um, because a lot of times when they do a, a, a project, um, they use a code name because they, they don't want people to know exactly what's going on. So I'll get booked sometimes to do something, and they use some weird name for it, and I have no idea what it is. I mean, like, I'm, I was doing stuff, the first time I was doing stuff on Frozen a million years ago, the movie Frozen, it, they called it Winter. So I get booked to do something for Winter. I don't know what Winter is. And... Um, uh, the first time I did something for the solo movie, I uh, the, the 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 script and the contract and everything else, the project was called Red Cup, <laughs> and and later I'm like going Red Cup, what is Red Cup? And then I someone said, well, who makes the Red Cups? I went solo. Oh, oh. solo. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. So, d- does that? Uh, I guess now you've been doing this for so long now, and you're used to it, but you don't get any chance to. To think ahead or, or, or to work on no. what you're what you're going to be performing. Yep. Does that bother you? No, that's just the way it is. Well, for voice, it's different on camera. Obviously, with on camera, you know, they get together and they read the scripts and mm-hmm. they, you know, they they rehearse and they do all this stuff. But with voiceover work, um, even at the level of a Star Wars movie, you know, I walk into the you know soundstage there. At, well, it used to be a Fox, uh, and now it's now I now it's the soundstage at Disney in Burbank. But, um, yeah, we walk into the soundstage, and there's a script there. And until I look at the script, I don't know what it is. I don't know what I'm doing. Because, again, it's, you know, there's, there's, they, they've learned over the years that you don't really need a lot of prep if you're just making noises or you're a dying stormtrooper or whatever. You know, yeah. you can kind of just do it on, on the fly, and it works pretty well. Oh, so. my gosh. But, yeah, I mean, if it, and, and, and for the bigger parts, like, you know, if I'm doing something for Yoda or Admiral Ackbar or something like that, they also don't tell me. Because they just don't want me saying anything to anybody by mistake, you know. They they just would rather me be pleasantly surprised and go, "Oh, I'm, I didn't know Akbar was in this movie." Am I? Oh, cool. Can you can you give us a little uh, Admiral Akbar? The forest moon of Endor will be in range within five minutes. It, it's a trap. <laughs> oh my gosh. Now, I've watched uh, so many episodes of Clone Wars, oh, and, yes. and, I, and I think I have heard That's a few. That's you should, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you, of course, uh, I've done uh, the voice of Yoda there on, on Clone Wars. I'm the opening narrator of every episode, which is cool because that means I'm the only only one that's been in every single episode <laughs> because the, I'm the guy that, you know, Empire at War, as the planet Ryloth falls under attack, Jedi Master Anakin Skywalker and his Padawan Ahsoka Tano, you know. 
So yeah, the beginning of every episode, that's me. So I'm 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 in every single one. So they, I uh, so wish my <laughs> son was here right now. We have watched so many episodes of Clone Wars. He would just be floored. Well, I do. I'm that, and uh, uh, I'm Yoda. I'm Admiral Ularan, um, and occasionally a you know a droid or some alien or something. Tom, like. with so many voices that you could do from so many characters that people know, can you freak people out from time to time? Well. Yes and no. I mean, part of the thing is is that be, peep, there's an element of disbelief, you know. So if if someone says, "Oh, that's Harrison Ford," and you look over there and wow, that's Harrison Ford, it's cool, but it's not a surprise because you look at it and go, "Yeah, that is Harrison Ford." <laughs> if someone says, "Oh, that's the voice of Yoda," and you look over and you see a six foot five human, uh, there's this like what? Well, what do you mean that's the voice of you? Of course that's not. What? You know, and, and, until, and, and until you actually do it, until it's, you know, Jedi Master, you ever, then it's like, so there is that moment of surprise, you know, it's kind of cool because they, there is that, like, oh, it's unexpected, even though they just told you <laughs> that's the voice of Yoda. Until you hear it, you don't believe it. You know, I, I'm the same, I mean, I'm the same way. If someone says that's, you know, that's the voice of Fozzie Bear, unless, you know, well, of course, it's Frank Oz, so I know, I know that. But, or used to be. Used to be. Right. Not anymore. It takes like six people now to do what, you know, Jim and Frank used to do. God, I wanted to ask you about Frank Oz. How long have you known him? Well, I don't know him. I mean, I've met him. Um, we're not friends. Um, he's he's a, always been a New York-based guy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I'm in L.A. or was in L.A. But um, uh, so, you know, th- he's just not someone anybody would run across. And he, the reason I'm doing Yoda and have been for 20-some years is because he became a very successful director. Um, I'm pretty sure he's been nominated for a couple Oscars as a director. And, uh, and you know, this started back in the early 90s. And, you know, when, once you get nominated for, for Best Director for a feature film, you don't go back to being a voiceover guy <laughs> for some other director, you mm-hmm. know. So he... Um, he, the way I the way I got involved with with uh, major characters for Star Wars was I was doing minor stuff, uh, you know, when video games were brand new and nobody had any idea if these things were going to go anywhere or what they were and you know, I mean, you know, George Lucas even all you know all the way to the top everybody was like, what is it? These you you do what with a what and it plays on a computer and what you know, it was just it's a, exploded the it was video a game. baffling thing to everybody yeah. back then. So they. They didn't want to invest a lot of money or 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 cachet, you know, into into what this this thing that might fail. So the very first video game Lucasfilm did was uh, was not a Star Wars property. It was called The Dig, and it had some archaeology theme and mystery and I don't you know whatever. But it had nothing to do with sci-fi, nothing to do with Star Wars because George was like, well, we'll try it. This video game thing, this computer game thing. But if it goes down in flames, he didn't want it to be a Star Wars thing that goes down in flames. So the very first thing I ever did was was a, a video game for for Lucas, and and uh, then they started doing Star Wars stuff. And they knew because of the other stuff that I did all these little voices, and I could mimic it. I'm, I'm a good mimic, you know. I'm, uh, there's not an original bone in my body. I just recycle what I grew up listening to, and. Um, so they were, were hiring me to do just miscellaneous little voices from, you know, the original Star Wars movie. It's like they needed a TIE fighter pilot or an Imperial officer, and they would just play a chunk for me, and I would do that voice. Because all the original guys were in, in, in uh, London. They all lived in the U.K. 
And back then, there was no technology. You couldn't just dial up the studio in London and, and record them. You, they would have to fly somebody to freaking London from L.A., put them up at a hotel, recording studio, the whole mess to record. You know, I couldn't do that. So Right. So just playing around, they would hear me do different voices, and they were like, wow, he does a, you know, he can do Grand Moff Tarkin, and he can do this, and he can do, you know. I, I always joke, I'm like, yeah, I was Boba Fett when Boba Fett was still British. You know, before we became a, a Kiwi, you know, before Boba Fett started talking like this. But, well, um, didn't Boba Fett have like a low gravelly voice? Yeah, like yeah, it, but it was British, though. It was, it was British, it was, though. Yeah, he was a British. Yeah, he means a lot to me. Oh, that's him. Yeah. That's him. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, oh, wow. That, but so, uh, is but that... yeah, I decided they just, I, I actually started doing 3PO first. They, uh, there was a video game where they needed a uh, 3PO, and Anthony was off in London doing mm-hmm. something, another movie I, or something. And it was, you know, only a handful of lines. And they'd heard me just playing around while I'm reading a script. All vo- you know, we all do that. Vo- every boy voiceover person. You've got a script in front of you, and even though you're Imperial Officer number two, right below there is a Darth Vader line. So, of course, we're going to... Yeah, Screw that BS. We're going to sit there and try to, <laughs> your thoughts betray you, young Skywalker. You know, so we're all, we all do that kind of stuff. Well, I would do that, and I, one time they heard me goofing around. I was reading a 3PO line, and it sounded like 3PO close enough. They're like, hey, we got this project coming up. Why don't we use him instead of, you know. Um, and that's what happened. So I ended up start. I started off, uh, the first major character I did was, was, was 3PO. And Hello, I'm C-3PO, human cyborg relations, and this is my counterpart. Shut up, R2. I'm talking to Nick Vassos. Oh, dear. You know, <laughs> that, but, um, is, that is unbelievable. So would you call that uh, in your business like voice doubling? To, Pretty to much, sort yeah, of sense? yeah, yeah. And, Pretty much, yeah. And you do that not only for maybe uh, I, the characters, but you do it for, do you do it for other Well, like, now, actors? yeah, nowadays, a lot, yeah, I do a lot of, um, uh, a lot of that for, uh, oh, my gosh, most commonly, believe it or not, is uh, I do a lot for Morgan Freeman. <laughs> Uh, for, mov- for movie trailers and stuff. and Because, um, uh, I mean, the man's freaking amazing. I mean, if he would sit still, they wouldn't need to hire me for any of that because <laughs> it, the thing is, is that, I mean, the guy's 80-some years old, and I swear to God, he makes six movies a year. <laughs> I don't know how the man... I mean, there are 30-year-olds that can't keep up with that pace. I mean, it, he just keeps going and going and going. He's, you know, the Energizer Bunny. But, you know, I... I stumbled upon Morgan completely by accident. I was I was I had auditioned for uh, some promos for ESPN, and this is 20 years ago. And um, the direction was we want a a smoky sort of jazz club, you know, beatnik 50s. You know, just imagine some beat poet up on the stage and there's you know, smoke in the room, and it's and he's reading this copy, and it was sort of semi poetic, you know, crap. And um, so I gave him two takes. I gave him we, me just going, you know, I was going, yeah, man, you know, you know, it's cool, that kind of thing. And then I just said, and I said, I'll do the same thing, make it black. So I was like, yeah, man, we're going to do this sort of thing and do whatever. And, um, you know, weeks go by and I, I get booked on it. Oh, but you book the ESPN thing. Okay, great. So I, I go to the studio and I walk in. <laughs> And there's like 12 people. There's producers and writers and all this stuff. And the engineer looks up at me. I'm just standing there, you know. I'm six foot five white guy. And, and all of a sudden he turns around and he goes, can I help you? And I said, yeah, I'm, I'm here for the ESPN session. And he goes, what, who are you? And I'm like, I'm Tom Kane, the voiceover guy. And 
all of a sudden, it was like the record scratch. You know, everything, everything stops and everybody just turns and staring at me. And the guy goes, one of the producer agency people goes, wait, you're, you're the, you're the guy that I'm like, yeah. And I went, Oh, you, you wanted the black dude. (laughs) And they were like, uh, I said, okay. I said, yeah. I said, well, okay. If that's, if that's too weird for you, that's cool. I, you know, I I have no, no problem with that. I kind of just did it as a lark, you know, because I thought it was a cool character. Um, and, uh, and they're all like going, oh, geez, what are we doing? Like, uh, you know, because that was, that, even then it was a little like, I don't know, can we hire a white guy to do a black guy? And uh, they're like, they're like, crap, this, this crap needs to be on the air in three hours. We don't have any time to, like, okay, just do it. So I go in there and I'm about the third take, and all of a sudden the engineer goes, my God, you sound like Morgan Freeman. I'm like, I'm like, what do you mean I sound like Morgan Freeman? He goes, you sound like Morgan Freeman. I'm like, no, I don't. And he goes, listen, he played back my last take. I'm like, I'm like, damn, that sounds like Morgan Freeman. You know, so, <laughs> so anyway, as the time, as time goes by, the word got around that if you need a, a word or two, it was Morgan Freeman, well, you can hire Tom. And so sometimes if, uh, for like a movie trailer, they need a, a line re-recorded and Morgan's not available, well, they'll, they'll just call me and you can tell Miss Daisy I'm not driving a wrinkly white ass around anymore. So. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so uh, it just, it's gotten to be okay. it's very weird. Have you met Morgan? Oh, yeah. Uh, well, the Oscars a I, couple oh, times. Oh, of course, yeah. absolutely. Of Actually, course. <laughs> I don't remember which one, but one of the, Os- one of the times <laughs> I was announcing the Oscars. You, you know, you have to show up there like three days in advance and, uh, for rehearsals. And it's a requirement. If you're going to be a presenter, if you're going to be one of the people that opens the envelope and says, and the award for whatever goes to whoever, you have to show up for rehearsals. It doesn't matter if you're Tom Hanks. It doesn't matter if you're Steven Spielberg. It's the Oscars. You show up. You rehearse. And uh, so, you know, Morgan shows up. And, um, and of course, everybody's, you know, flipping out. I mean, these are people that are used to dealing with celebrities all day long. But when it's Morgan Freeman, it's like, damn, the man's in the house. <laughs> so... Uh, the director's on the headset. Of course, you know, no one can hear him. Morgan can't hear him. Nobody else can hear him. But I'm hearing the director in my headset going, Tom, Tom, introduce him as him. I'm like, what? He goes, when you introduce Morgan Freeman, do it in his voice. I was like, you're out of your freaking mind. I'm not doing that tomorrow. He's like, no, come on, do it. It'll be really cool. I'm like, or it'll piss him off. So I didn't. I, did, I chickened out. But, but I thought I've, I should have. I mean, and now, ladies and gentlemen, an amazing actor, Mr. Morgan Freeman. And he'd be like, "What in the hell?" <laughs> my my best my best Morgan moment was I fooled his son Alphonse. Alphonse and I were working on a uh, robot chicken episode, and uh, Seth Green, who was the producer, we we were back in the the control room, and he was playing me something from another episode of Robot Chicken I'd done, and uh, and Alphonse heard. Uh, me doing a, a Morgan parody and thought it was his dad. And I'm like, my, okay, first, I'm like, okay, my, my Morgan's good. It's not that good, but I didn't think it was anyway. But he said, he, and, and Alphonse is like, to Seth, he's like, what the, what the hell? Why didn't you tell me you were using my dad? And Seth's like, dude, that's not your dad. That's some white guy in Kansas. And he's like, what do you mean? I know what my dad sounds like. He goes, no, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm shit. It's Tom Kane. It's what? And he, and he's like, and he, right there on the, right there on the spot, he opens his phone and he calls his dad, who's on the golf course. Of course. And he's like, Dad, he's like, I, I, don't, I don't, robot chicken. What the hell's a robot chicken? I don't. 
He's like, no, listen. He, he holds it up to the microphone or the speaker, and they're playing. And he goes, son, I don't, that, that's not me. I don't know what the hell that is, but that's not me. <laughs> so I said, okay, well, that's pretty good. Gosh. Um, so I, got, I can't imagine that uh, Morgan Freeman is the only one that you've done. Well, some. I do. I, uh, I do Morgan. I do ADR for uh, for uh, Morgan, uh, Liam Neeson, uh, a lot of Patrick Stewart. You know, Liam is. Um, if it's money you want, I don't have any. But what I do have is a particular set of skills that makes me a nightmare for people like you. You know, if you leave my daughter alone, I'll, you know. Um, which then, of course, I, it, for the same reason, I also am. Qui-Gon Jinn and a number of Star Wars projects like, you know, TV series and games and stuff when they needed a Qui-Gon. I'll do that occasionally. But um, uh, I do him. I do uh, quite a bit as, uh, as Patrick Stewart, Logan. If the mutants ought to survive, Magneto must be Brilliant movie. Saw yes. that with, uh, saw that the other day. Oh, yeah, the most recent one when he's old. With yes. The actual Logan movie. And he's, he's a little older, so I had to age him up a bit. When he's in the back, Logan. When we found you, you were nearly dead. You know, it's like you were, uh, and we gave you a family. You know, so he's, it is fun, though, because as these guys actually are getting older, oh, their wow. voices change, so I'm having to sort of go, they're like, well, we need something that sounds a little like Patrick Stewart. I'm like, well, which Patrick Stewart? He's, he's you know, the guy's been on, on TV for 35 years. Do you want young, you know, you know, Jean-Luc Picard, you know, engage? Uh, or do you want him uh, recently, you know? But yeah, I do that. Ian McKellen, I've, I, I've done stuff for uh, a lot of stuff for him. I'm actually the voice of Gandalf, and all the all the games for for Lord of the Rings and uh, and. Um, and you, you, know, you shall not pass. You know, Frodo, we must make the most of the time we have left. <laughs> do you do you see characters or do you hear characters? Uh, uh both. I mean, you know, it's. Uh, if it's a if it's an original character, you know, if it's something that I actually have to come up with a voice for, then it's really helpful to ha- have a visual. I mean, um, I mean, if you don't, what do you do? Well, they describe it. Okay. You know, I mean, like, you know, they'll, uh, you know, it, again, mo- in the cartoon world, they'll they'll just usually they'll hand you a sketch. You know, they'll say, "Here's what he looks like." Well, that helps a lot. I mean, like, I'm Mr. Harriman on a, a cartoon series called uh, Foster's Home for Imaginary Friends. He's a six-foot-tall bunny rabbit with a top hat and a monocle and a big bushy mustache. And they said he's, they, they said the voice is kind of like a British colonel from World War II movie. And then they showed me the picture of a big bunny rabbit and a vest and a bow tie and a top hat and a monocle. Well, I mean, that's, that, I'm sorry, well, I'm like, so that's a no-brainer. It's like, I look at it, it's like, oh, good heavens. You know, we've got a little jowly, you know. Miss Francis, rules are meant to be followed. You know, so that, you know, that was, inst- that was like, oh, that was easy. Um, but sometimes they'll, you know, they'll show you something and you're just like, I don't know, what would that sound like? You know, I mean, uh, I'm, I'm a, a character called Him on the Powerpuff Girls. Um, Popular. The original one and the new one. They, mm-hmm. they did a reboot. They're up to, we're up to like 70 episodes of the new Powerpuff Girls. And, um, and that one was, when they showed that to me, I was like, what in the hell is that? Because, I mean, it's supposed to be the devil and they call him Him. Because it's a kid's cartoon back in the 90s. They couldn't call him Satan. Yeah. <laughs> Probably wouldn't have gone over real well in, uh, in, in, in certain parts of the Midwest. And, uh, Mom's probably yeah, would that. They, no, son, you're not going to watch that well scene. They, well, they still did. They still got a lot of angry letters every time there was oh, a him wow. episode. Because, but it's supposed to be the devil. But he's freaking wearing uh, stripper boots and high heels. 
He's he's wearing a Santa Claus suit from the waist up. He has wooden lobster claws for hands. The weird little goatee and the voice we ended up with was, you know, it was like, oh, hello, Powerpuff Girls. I'm feeling very creepy today. Why don't you come in here so I can kill you? You know, that kind of thing. And they put a little flange on the voice and make it just super creepy. And, um, but, you know, I'm like, I'm looking at this thing going, I, what the heck is that? I don't even know what, you know. But so they're like, well, make him like this. And they, and, they, and they ended up playing something for me from a movie called The Yellow Submarine that the Beatles made in 67 or 69 or something. And there, was a, there were a bunch of little characters in, in The Yellow Submarine called meanies. And they're just these weird little creatures that are like, I don't know, gremlins that do things. And the head bad guy, the head meanie, was called the Blue Meanie. And they played me that voice, and they said, give it a little bit of that. And I'm like, ah. So the light bulb went off. I'm mm-hmm. like, I took that. I added my own spin on it. And went, you know, and they're like, ah, that's it. Perfect. So, Wow. Visiting with award-winning voice actor, <clears throat> excuse me, Tom Kane. I'm wondering what inspired uh, a teenager in Prairie Village, Kansas. Uh, I guess it would have been back in the... 70s. Uh, back in the 70s, yeah. yeah. What, what, what inspired you to start uh, it was, doing this? On, okay, uh, it was 1977. I was 15 years old. It was the summer Star Wars came out, May, May 31st, 1977, yeah. Friday. Uh, last day of ninth grade. Nallwood, Nallwood, uh, Nallwood, back then we called it junior high. Nallwood Junior High, now they're middle schools. And uh, But, yeah, I... Uh, I just thought it would be fun to hear myself on TV. Uh, it did not occur to me people got paid for it. I had no idea, you know. I uh, I had a couple of friends that were old enough that they were a few months ahead of me and they could drive. They had a car, so, you know, we were hanging out in cars listening to radio all day long and local disc jockeys and local commercials. And, um, and uh Listening to Skid Row, K Y One Hundred and Two. Oh, K Y One Hundred and Two. You're listening to Skid Row on K Y One Hundred and Two. But um, but the uh, uh, and and Mike Murphy. Uh, that's Mike Murphy. Uh, my, God, I actually knew him. I actually dated his daughter for fifteen minutes. I was uh, a little side note. We're we're still friends. She's a delightful human being. But we were uh, in high school. And we'd, kind of, we'd been on a bit of a date, and we were just hanging out in their living room over at Mike Murphy. For those of you listening who don't know, Mike Murphy was the stuff he, yeah. back at, he was the talk radio guy in Kansas Legendary. City. Just, he was the big dog in town. Oh, but to me, he was just my wannabe girlfriend's dad. So we're sitting there at 2 in the morning, just sitting on the couch. We weren't doing anything, much to my dismay. But, uh, and we're just talking, and all of a sudden I hear this noise, and in walks Mike Murphy. But he's in his boxer shorts and his strapped T-shirt, and he walks into the room out of the darkness, because I guess we've been talking too loud, and he, he looks down at the two of us sitting on the couch, and he holds his arm up, like, to look at his watch, and he goes, what time is it? Because he has no watch on. <laughs> but he's staring at his wrist like there should be something there. And he goes, what time is it? And I said, oh, uh, it's, it's about, it's about uh, two, two something, Mr. Murphy. And he goes, he goes, what the hell are you doing in my house at 2.30? I said, well, we're just sitting here talking. And he goes, Christ on a crutch, get out of here. And I, 
And I went, okay. But I'm like, oh, oh I got to talk to Mike Murphy. But, uh, but yeah, anyway, the, the, uh, it was summertime, and I just thought it would be f- fun to hear myself on the radio or TV. And, um, but back then, everything, everything that you heard on local advertising, from top to bottom, left to right, were, it was all done by the, the jocks in town. So it didn't matter what it was. It all sounded, you know, exactly like that. You know, it was a, either a promo for a KY 102 or it was the Waterbed Gallery, the Saturday, you know. Get 10% off Laird Norler Ford, you know, only at McCarthy Chevrolet. You what know, do you call that technique, Tom? The BFV, the big fake voice. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, uh, but the thing is, is that the... Uh, you know, I didn't do that. Well, I could do a parody of it, but, but you know, I don't have those pipes. I don't have those FM DJ pipes. You have a good and, voice. Well, yeah, but not that. I don't, those guys are, that's a whole other, those are the trailer guys. You know, the, the ones that, in the world. You know, that, that I don't have. But, but you the, do uh, trailers too, of course. Oh, but that's most of my work. Yeah, on a day, that's what, in terms of what pays my bills. Yeah. Yeah, that's 80% of my, my work. That's where most people hear, you hear me every day. You just don't know it's me. But, um, but yeah, I was just sitting around thinking it'd be cool and you know it was 1977 in Kansas City there were three TV stations uh, the fourth one had just come on that summer it, it, back then it was KBMA channel 41 Gosh. it was the first UHF station <laughs> yes. in in the area they were on the air from two to five in the afternoon that's it three hours and they showed reruns of Warner Brothers cartoons that's it and uh, so Today that's that's forty one action news. Yeah. Today that's forty one. So, but we, you know, so but it was you know it was Kansas City and mm-hmm. it was summertime. It was one hundred and eighty thousand degrees outside and one hundred and eighty percent humidity, and I'm sitting there having my fill of cartoons, and I'm so I'm like you know and I'm going this is just and I'm listening to the TV and the commercials and I thought well I can do better than that I can I can do a funny voice or I can do this and that'd be more interesting to hear than than you know the same same same. So I picked up the Yellow Pages and started calling local advertisers and saying, oh, I heard your commercial for whatever Chevrolet or whatever, and it sounds like every other commercial on the air because it's the same FM DJs, and I can do something different that'll sound more interesting. So if you want, I'll do your commercials. Well, of course, most of them were like, who in the hell are you? Screw you, punk. And because uh, I had no tact, I was using terms like, yeah, I heard your commercial. And it really sucked. <laughs> you know, that was kind of where I was. I was 15. I was 15 years old. I heard your commercial. It really sucked. And I can do better. And, uh, but, but you needed to be 15 to make that phone call. Probably. Yeah. And uh, so anyway, I called the American Cancer Society because I heard a PSA. They'd run a PSA that was just absolutely appallingly bad. And it, I, it sounded like they had stuck a script in front of the receptionist and pulled out a radio shack cassette recorder and said here read this oh, which boy. is it turns out kind of what they did and uh but i you know i got i knew nothing about any of the real world of advertising but i so i call the american cancer society i tell them i heard this thing on the air i, I didn't know the term psa i said a commercial and it was and it sucked and i could do something better well an hour later uh the phone rings and it's uh uh i believe it was bernstein rain back then it was bernstein rain and boseberg mm-hmm and, which was the biggest agency in Kansas City at the time. And they said, oh, yeah, so Tom, Tom Kane's there. Tom Kane. I'm like, yeah, it's me. And they're like, well, we understand you're willing to donate some voiceover work for the American Cancer Society. Well, donate went right over my head. I'd never heard the term voiceover work, but I you know, I had 10 IQ points that I could rub together, and I figured that out. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm like, well, sure. And they're like, well, man, that's great. Man, to have a professional, again, professional over my head. 
And they're like, well, we're, we, we're, we actually have a record this Thursday. Um, and gosh, that'd be fantastic. And I'm like, great. So I wrote down, you know, 10 o'clock and the address. And I had to have my daddy drive me downtown. And uh, it was at, you know, a, a, probably it was the top recording studio in town in 1977. And, uh, of course, they walk up to my dad. And they're, like, handing him the copy, and they're like, oh, we think. And my dad's kind of waving him, like, no, that's the guy. You know, the, and there I am in my fringy cut-off jeans and my Stan Smith tennis shoes that are stained green from cutting lawns for a buck of lawn and, you know, my pimply face. And, and they're like, you're the, you, you're the guy? Yeah. I'm like, and he's like, and the poor guy's like, oh, my God. He goes, have, <laughs> you, have you done this before? And I'm like, no, but I could And I actually said, I said, well, I couldn't sound any worse than what you had. <laughs> And he goes, and the guy was just like, oh, man. He goes, oh, God, I am so screwed. I'm like, what? He goes, oh, well, we rented the studio, and we did all this. We thought you'd done this before. And I'm like, <clears throat> and I'm like well, let me read it. You I'm know, here. I, I'm here. So I'm, the engineer setting me up in the booth, and through the glass, I see this poor guy getting his ass chewed. You know, it's just this gestures, and the creative director is yelling. And whatever. and uh, I just looked down the script, and, I'm, and I said, do you want this in some kind of accent? I didn't know the term dialect. <clears throat> and the the creative director, who's very angry at this point, hits the talk and goes, what? And I said, <clears throat> well, I, was, I was thinking this would sound good in an accent of some kind because it would stand out more. And he goes, what do you mean an accent? And I said, well, I was thinking like the Pepperidge Farms guy. Well, at the time, the Pepperidge Farms announcer was an 80-year-old man from New England. You know, and, and he goes, you, you can talk like an old man from New England. And I'm like, well, yeah, duh, I can't, everybody. <laughs> and he's, he's, like, he's like, let's hear that. So I was like, I still remember, God, you never forget your first one. It's, it's every weekend, a couple dozen Kansas City families have a couple dozen garage sales. But on July 1st and 2nd, a thousand Kansas City families are going to have just one garage sale, a very big garage sale, a sale so big, as a matter of fact, it'll make the walls of the Glenwood Manor Convention Hall bulge. We call it the Kansas City Garage Sale. All the proceeds go to the American Cancer Society, but all the bargains, well, those go to you. And I, Silence. I, I, re- I, yeah, I read it through just like that. The engineer just kind of turned and looked at me and goes, that's a 29.5, which was per- perfect. <laughs> and which was complete coincidence, but it made me look like an absolute genius. And, and exactly what we said. I'm looking up now at the glass of two grown men sitting there kind of going with their mouths a little agape. And one of them goes, that, yeah, that, that was good. Because it sounded just like that at 15. I could do I, That's exactly what it sounded like. And, uh, I'm, and we did two more takes. They're all smiles. Everybody's happy. And we go home. And a week later, the phone rings. It's the same agency, a different creative group. And they hire me to do six Screen Actors Guild TV commercial voiceovers. And, but, but I didn't know that. They didn't say anything. I, they assumed I knew what the hell I was doing. Same thing happened. I had to, my daddy drove me down. And they come up and start talking to him. And they're like, no, that's the guy. <laughs> And they were like, you're the, you're the one that recorded the thing for the American Cancers? And they same thing, like I was saying about the, the element of disbelief, until I actually went, every weekend, a couple dozen Kansas, they didn't believe it. They're like, you're, you're the, you did this. Can you join the guild at 15? I, I did. Yeah. I did. <laughs> but, the, uh, but again, I had no idea anybody got paid for this. So I'm sitting there like, well, your dad's going to have to sign the contract. Because, you know, you're a minor. I'm like, yeah, whatever. So I'm looking through these scripts, and all of a sudden, my dad, my dad goes, Tommy! I'm like, what? And he goes, did you know they're paying you for this? And I'm like, really? And he goes, yeah. And I'm, you know, it's 1977 and I'm 15. So I'm thinking like, what, 20 bucks? And 
And I'm like, really? I'm like, what are they, how are they paying me? He goes, they're paying you a lot. So now I'm thinking, like, what, $40, 50 bucks? And he goes, I said, how much do they pay? What do you, really, how much am I getting? He goes, they're paying you $1,200. And I swear to God, I, my brain couldn't process that. And my exact words were, well, is it 12 or 100? And then I went, oh, my God, I'm getting a car. <laughs> And I did. I bought a nineteen. I bought a used 1972 Ford Gran Torino with that money, and that was my cool car for for years. But oh. that is an amazing <laughs> story. So here I am, 30, 30, 40 years later. Golly! But, uh, yeah. And so you carried that through high school. Yeah, uh, by the on time, the KU. By the time I got out of high school, I'd probably done fifty commercials or more. By the time I I got out of uh, college I'd done two or three hundred. You, you went to Shawnee Mission South, right? I went to Shawnee Mission South, class of 80. I went to uh, uh, KU. By the time I got out of KU I'd probably done 200 or more commercials. Uh, what was your major at KU? Uh, radio and television film, which I'm, I'm told doesn't exist anymore as a major. Now it's just called communications arts. And, and back even back then it was kind of a ridiculous degree. It was just the easiest thing I could do without actually having to study anything. And uh, and it would, I mean, but back then it was even then it was like silly. It was like why why do you have the word film in this? Because you couldn't find a film camera within a hundred miles of KU back then. So uh, it really was radio. You know, we were studying radio, and and I remember because we had a TA, we had a, a a TA teaching a class in radio production. Who clearly he was a student, and he had never obviously never done it. So I actually was showing the class how to splice tape, because uh, he didn't know how to do it, and I did. But uh, I'm like, this is a butt splice. This is a fade. This is a. Uh, but yeah, anyway, the. Uh, but yeah, it. Uh, I got a job uh, right out of college. I got hired to. Uh, 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 one of the professors at KU, who who knew what I did, said, "You you need to get out of Kansas City. There's just this is not a big enough market to to do what you want to do. You need to hit Chicago, New York, or L.A. Well, Chicago was the closest one, mm-hmm. and." Uh, so I got to do, I got to, because I'd been writing by then, a lot of the commercials I was recording, I would rewrite them just to make them easier to read. I didn't realize it, but I was writing better copy. Yeah. You know, because if it's easier to read, it's usually better copy. Um, so by the time, before I even got out of high school and, and through college, some of the local agencies that were hiring me to do the voiceover work would also just say, well, you just write it. Just, you know, and they were getting hell, in retrospect, boy, did I get hosed. Yeah, I mean, you should they, go to fee for writing that oh, thing no, too. Oh no, oh no, I wrote I, I was I was getting paid fifty bucks sometimes to write, produce, and voice a commercial that God knows what they were charging <laughs> for. But anyway, but yeah. Fees so, have gone up since then quite a, a bit. A little bit. <laughs> but yeah, so but yeah, I, I went to Chicago and I got hired by a division of Ogilvy and Mather, which is a big agency, and I, I was writing suddenly writing and producing commercials, national network spots, you know, for AT and T and and Mounds and almond joy candy bars and Hellman's and mayonnaise and and stuff like that. And uh, but on my lunch hour, I would go and audition as a voiceover guy because I, I went. I just walked into the local agency and said, "Well, I do voices and stuff." And of course, they were going to hire me because I was also a producer at Ogilvy and Mather. So mm-hmm. what were they, they weren't going to say no because I was hiring their talent. So on my lunch hour, I would audition and occasion. And I started booking national commercials. And I realized pretty quickly, I'm like, wait, I'm making more on my lunch hour than I am. <laughs> The other 50 hours a week I'm working. So I, but I wanted to do cartoons. That's what I'd always wanted to do. So we, uh, uh, I packed up everything and moved to Los Angeles in 1980, 
five-ish, six, somewhere in there, and um, got signed by a very large talent agency in uh, L.A., and the rest is history. I, two weeks after I got there, I was doing the Chrysler Plymouth account and with James Earl Jones. He was one. He was he was the guy going. The Dodge Laser XE, because the competition is always on our tail, and we intend to keep them there. And I was that guy going, MSRP, please allow 46 weeks for delivery. Sorry, no CAD orders on the special offer, you know. Oh, you were the fast guy. I was the fast guy. (laughs) But I got to work with James Earl Jones. I was like, oh, my God, it's Darth Vader. I never did work up the balls to ask him for a signed picture. uh, So how long were you in Los Angeles for? Oh, 20-some years. I, I, uh, we moved back here a decade ago, and, uh, uh, well, because the technology made it possible. You know, it was getting harder and harder just to function in L.A. Uh, because of the traffic. And, and um, you know, if, if, if you're someone that's moderately busy as a voiceover person, uh, then L.A.'s there's, it's a great place. You know, you, you can play around the golf and you do an audition and the next day you do, you know. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, you make a hundred grand a year and you live comfortably and things are nice and it's good. If you're a busy voiceover guy, which I was, um, it's just a nightmare. You know, you're a half hour late to everything you do. Traffic is insanely unpredictable. And this is when I, this is 20 years ago and 10 years ago when I moved. I go back there now. I don't even try to drive anymore. I, I, every time I get there, I fall on the ground and bless the Uber gods because <laughs> I, I just take Ubers everywhere because I, you just can't, I lose my mind trying to drive there anymore. And, uh. And, uh, it, and it is physically impossible now to, to get where, for me to try to do what I do, I literally could not do it in Los Angeles. I just couldn't do it. If I had to drive anywhere, I would have to. And, and, and that's kind of the way it was getting before mm-hmm. I left. And I was already, I was trying to do as much work out of my home studio. We lived out in the Malibu Hills and um, I had my own studio, but the clients, a lot of them were still just like, no, I don't, you know, I mean, how, we want them to come in, and, I mean, how could, it's a home studio, I mean, is the, I don't know, is it going to be any good, and, and uh, I finally, uh, finally, we just said, look, let's, you know, all of our families back in Kansas City, the kids only see grandma and grandpa's, mm-hmm. uh, you know, twice a year. You had a growing family when yeah. you were in Los Angeles. Oh, yeah, we had a bunch of six kids, and, uh, and uh, but yeah, we finally just said, well, let's just do it, you know. And uh, what's the worst thing? You know, I'll lose. I figured I'll lose twenty or thirty percent of my work, but with the cost of living difference, yeah, you know, we don't have to put the kids in private schools. Um, uh, so we just said, oh, let's just do it. So we did, and we moved back here, and and things went berserk. I have never been. It's the busiest ten years of my career ever since I left LA. I mean, I, part of it's just because I can. I'm, my, you know, everybody knows I'm I'm twelve feet from a microphone twenty four hours yeah. a day, so. Um, um, and, and that's where I think a lot of that is why my trailer career has exploded so much is because I'm available with a moment's notice. I mean, and in the trailer world, you're lucky to get an hour's notice. And that's true of all of us. I mean, I, there, there are, there's no such thing as a, a voiceover guy that does movie trailers that doesn't work out of his own studio because the, the whole industry is so chaotic and things change from hour to hour, and the, you know you'll record a, a commercial of a trailer, and an hour later you're recording the same thing, but the lawyers change three words, or or the director listened to it and said, oh, I want to use that adjective. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm serious. Sometimes it's one word changes. Well, you can't be driving in L.A. and you know, oh, I've got to go back. You know, you just can't do it. So, um, 
but that, yeah, that's most of my work though on a daily basis is movie trailers. I'm um, Tim Allen is the Shaggy Dog Four from Walt Disney Pictures. Starts Friday at theaters everywhere. Rated PG. Or um, Johnny Depp is Sherlock Gnomes. You know from DreamWorks Entertainment. You know, um, and uh, I do a lot of the Disney and Pixar stuff in the uh, the higher pitch, the kid, the younger the. Um, um, cars, you've done cars. You did the car. Oh, cars from Finding Nemo. Yeah, uh, I've, I've done like <coughs> oh my gosh, I must have done eight Pixar movies. But it's it's um, yeah, you know Tim Allen in Toy Story three starts Friday at theaters. You know, starring all your favorite Disney characters. You know, it's, <laughs> hey, we're chatting with Tom Kane here on Signal Hill, and uh, we're talking about his uh, voice career. Um, how, how many how many people like you are out there in the United States? And you know, there's a, a, a several people that I know would love i mean would love to have your life and do what yeah. you do you know so like what what is it what's an average day like for tom Kane? well there when you say how many of us are there it, that varies from genre to genre in terms of voice of work but it seems in, like in terms of commercials you, you cover so i will much. and i'm an odd duck in that regard um i'm an odd duck in many regards <laughs> but, but no i that, and i am i'm un, i'm unusual um honestly i'm i I'm the only guy I know, seriously, the only one, maybe one other, that, that has a career in cartoons and movie trailers. That just doesn't happen um, because they're such different animals. Um, because to me, everything's, I mean, you hear, this is my voice, you hear me. No one's going to hire this. Everything to me is a put on. Every, every voice I do is a character. So when I'm doing movie trailers, that's me, quote unquote, with my air quotes here, doing a movie trailer voice. That's not my voice. Well, all the other trailer guys, that's what they sound like. I mean, if you, if you, oh. if, if you, you know, Don, well, Don LaFontaine was the, the mm -hmm. king of voice you know, trailer guys. He was the guy that created in a world, you know. Um, sure. But if you woke Don up at three in the morning, he'd be like, yes, yeah, Don LaFontaine in a world. What do you want? <laughs> I mean, that, those guys actually sound that way. You know, that's, that's the way they really talk. So, um, uh, you know, so that's all they do. Well, to me, that's like I said. That's a that's to me. That's a character voice. So because everything to me is a character voice, and I'm just mimicking various things, um, you know, I, I, I've got I've, I've got a toe in, in about six different areas of voice of work. I mean, I do commercials as a straight announcer. Um, I mean, you hear me I'm, for years. I do a lot of the most of the Christmas stuff at uh, the Christmas time for Walmart. You know, it's um, you know, live better. You know, save money. Live better. Walmart. You know, right now I get 25% off every, you know, thing. And it's just me talking and just, eh, you know. And then the very next commercial, it could be me for Hallmark doing Santa Claus. You know, and be like, well, Tommy, you're a very good kid this year. <laughs> so what exactly do you want for Christmas, you know? <laughs> you know, so it, to me, everything's just a, a character voice. So I can do that. I can do a, a commercial, and then the next session a, mo a movie trailer, and the next session a cartoon, and the next session. And that's just weird. It's just it's, most people, the, like the cartoon, the animation people, that's what they do. They do animation. That's it. But they, they don't do trailers. And the trailer people, they just do that. They don't do cartoons. Well, I do a little bit of everything. So that's why I, I, I'm so busy. And that's, that's a good thing, because i got a baseball team of kids I've put through college. And <laughs> still have a couple left to go. And, How many uh, kids do you have? Uh, nine. Nine kids. Nine, and, uh, which, which uh, I've now gotten. I'm an honorary member of uh, both the Catholic Church and the uh, Mormon Church. So, no. <laughs> <laughs> I, I jo no joke. I, I cannot tell you how many times, especially in L.A., 
Anybody that has more than 1.7 children in L.A., they look like you're, so you're almost some kind of freak, you know. I, have, I actually, about the time, I think my wife was pregnant with our third biological kid, and someone actually said, you, you know, they, they know the cause of that now. I'm like, yeah, well, in the real world, that's normal to have three kids, you know. It's, <laughs> well, you, of course, back home in Kansas City, great place to have all of your children. Oh, no, it's City. great. We've got, we've got three biological, three adopted from Vietnam, uh, uh, two uh, little black boys from Atlanta, Georgia, uh, foster daughter. So we're, we're busy. It's good. Wow. What's on the horizon for you, Tom? Uh, well, there's uh, more Star Wars stuff. Um, it, it, we've been working on the new Clone Wars stuff for a while, but I couldn't say, I'll tell anybody. Um, so that's finally public. The Clone Wars is back. Um, it's a limited run. I mean, we're not, it's not like we're, we're planning on seasons and seasons. Uh, we've got 12 that are for sure. Um, and then we'll see what happens. You know, there's, you know, as with all things, uh, you know, money talks. Mm-hmm. If the ratings are through the roof, uh, you know, who knows? Disney may go, you know what? Uh, screw that whole 12-episode thing. We're going to keep going until the wheels come off this. But we don't know, you know, so we'll find I'm, I'll be the last person to know. Yeah. I mean, I, I honestly, we're, <laughs> people always think, they were like, can you tell me what's going to happen in episode nine? I'm like, <laughs> I, I'm, you know, I'm the hired help. I'm just the guy that I, you know, like I said, I walk into the studio, they hand me a script, and then I go, oh, what? What? Darth Vader's Luke's dad? What? You know? <laughs> have you enjoyed these these new releases of Star Wars movies that have oh, come out? Oh, yeah. I mean, and, and not just because I'm in them. No, um, <laughs> no, I have, because I'm a huge fan. I'm a, I'm a I'm a me Star too. Wars nerd of epic proportions. So, I mean, I honestly, I, people will ask me of the new ones, I, for me, hands down, I thought Rogue One was amazing. Oh, to yeah. me, Rogue One yep. was the most Star Wars-y of the new movies. Mm-hmm. And, and and I liked all of them. I, and, and I know a lot of a lot of fans, of, it's a, I mean, they're, you know, it's like the, the Trump-Clinton election. It's like the, the families are not talking to each other because you either liked uh, the Last Jedi or you didn't. You know, it's like, I'm not talking, I'm unfriending you because you like The Last Jedi. But, uh, that's so true. I've had discussions with people oh, yeah. around here in the station because oh, I'm, yeah. we're all like big fans. But yeah. there's a certain oh, line yeah. that no, there is. did it's... not like how that one ended no. at all. No, but they, uh, you know, again, there's a, there's a method to their madness. Yeah. That uh, all, all will become apparent. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is not the plot you're looking for. But um, <laughs> they, uh, yeah, they're, they're, they've got. There's lots of stuff up their sleeve, so it, it'll make some sense, uh, hopefully, as time goes by. But the, uh, but yeah, it, it uh, I, I'm just glad it's back. I'm just glad it's there. I'm one of those guys that, it's like you know, I, I look upon Star Wars movies and, and projects as, as like Sean Connery. It's like, I don't care if it's a bad Sean Connery movie. It's still effing Sean Connery, and I'm gonna love it. I'm gonna watch it, and he can read the phone book. And I'm gonna be like, yeah, that's freaking Sean Connery. So it's you know, it's like the, for me, that's what Star Wars is. I'm like, okay, good, good, bad, or otherwise, I'll take, I'll take it. You know, and I think, and I frankly think they're all pretty awesome. I, I am gonna be interested to see how we, how they handle uh, Leia, because um, you know, one of the first things they told everybody, both, both in, oh, oh, you found, good morning, good morning, good morning, Commander Bowman. I have, I. Have. I, I began to misbehave. I just wanted you to know it really 
wasn't our fault. <laughs> the human programmers never taught us to recognize the year 2000. That's when amazing. the new millennium arrived. That's fun. My my house much no better now. But to cause a global economic disruption. That's just that's just amazing. When did you record that? Oh, that was a long time ago. That was God. That was 18 years ago. But the um, this we're coming up on the 50th anniversary of the movie, so there might be some other projects involving him. Oh, hmm, so interesting. I've, I've been working on my Hal for for no reason whatsoever. All right, I want to play another movie here. Uh, so let, here, let's listen to this one here. The 9000 series is. Congratulations. How does it feel to be an All-American? Congratulations. How do you feel? I got to pay. I believe he said he had to go pee. <laughs> <laughs> of course, that is JFK. That's the I actually started, that was one of the very Forrest first, Gump. yeah, I was one of the very first voices I tried to imitate when I was a kid. My, I was going through the garage in my parents' house and found a box of old records, and there was a comedy album uh, that was put out, it would be today, it would be the equivalent of, I don't know, Mad TV or something, or I don't know, but it it was a a bunch of people that was, it was political satire at the time, back in the 1960s, by a guy named Vaughn Meter, and they called themselves the First Family, and it was basically people that did pretty darn good imitations of of Kennedy and, and Jackie Kennedy and and Vice President Johnson and all these people that nobody knows what they sound like, but I knew who Kennedy was, mm -hmm. and I, and I listened to that over and over. So I, I at the age of like thirteen, I was trying to learn how to do a John F. Kennedy. Congratulations! How did you feel to be an All American? You know, it's like ask not what your country can do for you, rather ask what you you know. So uh, I was uh, running around at thirteen, uh, working on a John F. Kennedy, and. Um, I was actually able to uh, differentiate. Uh, John uh, spoke a little slower, and uh, he uh, he was uh, more deliberate. Uh, but Bobby, Bobby was high pitched, and uh, and uh, Bobby stuttered a, a, a little, and uh, and so yeah, there was a, a, a very definite uh, difference between uh, Bobby and and John. Bobby was uh, more like this, and John was a, a little more down here. And uh, but yeah, that is so. How many different dialects have you noticed oh, across the states? Oh, I have no idea. Oh, there's a million. <laughs> well, you know, it is funny. There's a lot of people. You know, people. Oh, I get constantly. Will you listen to my demo tape? Will you listen to this? Or you know, yeah. will you and and uh, how? You know, what do I do? What do I not do? What? Do, and I always tell people. You know, you know, I get people that are like, oh, I do a really amazing Ukrainian accent. Who cares? You know, mm -hmm. I mean, it's like. It, you don't need you don't need to fool someone from France. You need to fool my my mom and and my kids and my sister and my you know you need you know so don't you don't need to worry about this is this small little section of South Central Mississippi. The dialect is exactly like this. No one no one cares. It just does it sound like it's from the South? Well, if it does, that's good enough. You know you don't you don't need no you know. Oh well, that that's more Alabama than Georgia. Well, good. I suppose that makes a difference if you're down there ordering some barbecue, but up here, don't make no never mind. So, you know, you just need to sort of paint in broad strokes. So it's, uh, but God, yeah, they're th like England. Oh, good lord. I mean, they're they're so precise in their dialects in England. You can talk to somebody in London, and they'll know exactly where you're from. They'll like, oh, he's from Leeds. So Just by your accent, or, or he's from um, Liverpool. Where do they say you're from when, you, when they hear uh, yours? I ha honestly, I had a dialect, a, a guy who, that's what he does is he teaches people dialects for, for theater and for, and for movies. 
He's he's considered like the he's like the guy that helps Leonardo DiCaprio get down his perfect South African for blood diamond, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, so when some the big celebs have to learn a really specific and a tough one, like South African is really a tough dialect to learn because people naturally they they bleed over into Australian or British. And South African is this weird blend of, of British, Australian, and a little bit of German almost because of the, you know, the Dutch influence and stuff. You know, so like oh, that's blood. That's really interesting. Like, I never thought about it. That's true. Yeah. yeah. So like when, you, when DiCaprio would say blood diamond, it comes out correctly as blood diamond. Blood diamond. Mm-hmm. Which, and of course, blood is sort of the German blut. You know, but it's this weird blend. Uh, but it's a tough one to do. But this guy told me, he used me as an example one time. He said, you, you naturally, for some reason, you naturally speak in what's called a standardized general American, which is nothing. I haven't, he said, you have absolutely no regional, I don't know what you, where you're from. I, you have no hook at all. And interestingly enough, that's what most DJs do. They naturally, you, if you've noticed, when you go around the country, an FM DJ in, in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, is going to sound pretty much identical to an FM DJ in Albany, New York. Yep. And because they have to, you have to have you know you know the the DJs, the FM guys. You know the way they get ahead in the world is they move from market to market to market to market to market, and it could be from Albany to to Baton Rouge to Kansas City to whatever. Well, if you sound like you're from you know you sound like you're from Baton Rouge, you're not going to get hired in Kansas City to be an FM DJ. So they they learn to talk with no regional accents whatsoever, and that's so when you listen to an FM DJ, that's your hearing's what's called standardized general American, which is I don't know where the heck you're from, but but uh, but apparently I do that naturally. And I, <laughs> but he did tell me he said you know what he said he's only met a a large group of people that have that natural lack of accent, and he said he said they all come from. Kansas City. He said, there's something around this area that the people that like were born and raised here, he, he said, you just, for whatever reason, you, you have this, uh, I can't tell where any of you from. You sound like you sound like you just naturally have this blank slate uh, dialectically. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, there's an insulting joke there somewhere. But <laughs> Blaine, yes, we, right? come, we come from the land of blank <laughs> slates. But, uh, but we, 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 we wear it on, honorably. Chatting with uh, Tom Kane on Signal Hill. Uh, let's go from radio to uh, television here. Let, let, let's have a listen here, okay? 22 members of the Greenpeace Environmental Group had more of an oh adventure my. than they bargained for when they set sail aboard the Rainbow Warrior. They were bent on challenging the second most powerful nation on Earth. They went ashore in Siberia and the Soviet Union to film a whale processing plant that they claim is violating international whaling laws. Oh my Six God. of them were arrested in the seventh. So what our that podcast oh. listeners here can't see is you doing a newscast for WIBW in 1981. Did you 1981. Have asp- did you have aspirations of being in television? No, not at all. I, um, I uh, caused a little bit of a kerfluffle at KU because I... Um, I had to get permission from the School of Journalism to take a uh, copywriting class. Um, and again, it was not me trying to actually broaden my horizons or, or educate myself. It was me trying to get an easy A because I'd already been writing copy oh, for years. <laughs> and I, 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 putting it completely bluntly, I could have taught the class. So I thought, well, that's an easy A. I'll just take copywriting. 
and pretend I don't know what I'm doing and magically, I, I actually was just digging up scripts I had already written and produced and they were real commercials. <laughs> I would just hand them in. Oh yeah, here I wrote this commercial. But anyway, I, but because it was not, it was in the journalism school, I had to get permission to take the class, which I did. So while I was in the J school building uh, one day, I, there's a bulletin board up and there was a big notice about a scholarship. And it was the Stauffer Communications Broadcast Something Scholarship. Well, there was a big company called Stauffer Communications that back then they owned WIBW, and maybe they still do. I, I don't know, but they were a big company. And I said, well, that's, you know, I, I was a poor I was putting myself through college, and, and uh, so I'm like, oh, cool. I'll apply for that. Um, well, to get the scholarship, what you had to do was show up at WIBW on a certain day, they just ripped off a handful of wire copy uh, and handed you a stack of stuff and said, um, okay, uh, you've got 30 minutes. We need a 60-second piece, a 30-second piece, a 20, a 10, a, bu you know, a bumper, all this stuff. Come back. And so, you know, all the students are sitting in the lobby and we're trying to write, you know, trying to make, you know, basically little news stories out of this just stack of AP wire copy. So um, I did that, and I had written my little pieces, and uh, they, uh, I noticed that there were a couple of the students that they ha had said to them after reading all this, they, they well, first of all, they, then they had like a callback. They, they narrowed it down from however many, you know, 100 kids that applied for the scholarship, and then they brought back like 15 or 20 of us. And then we had to go through this again and write more. And then they said, well, then we want you to read it. Well, read it. And they're like, yeah, just read it out loud so you can hear what it sounds like. Well, me being me at that time, <laughs> I wasn't just going to read it. I put on my big fake voice. Yeah. I pulled out the BFV. The BFV. And I actually, I kid you not, I actually <laughs> had my, my little scripts that I'd written, and I did the hold the paper up and tap it on the table a little bit, and I went <laughs> tap, tap, and I, and I actually looked up like I'm looking into a camera, and I go... In Washington today, President Reagan said that whatever, and I, I delivered it like a newscaster. You know, again, it's me just mimicking. I'm like, okay, I'm going to try to make this sound like a newscaster. And the same thing happened when I was 15. I look up, and there's three people just look staring at me going, oh, that, wow. Well, make a long story short, th two days later, they call, and they're like, not only did you win the scholarship, but we'd like to offer you a job for the summer as a fill-in anchor, <laughs> fill-in on-camera newscaster. Well, I'm like, well, I don't know. I've never done What? I don't know how to do that. But I'm like, well, I can fake it. <laughs> so uh, I spent the summer at WIBW uh, filling in for, you know, whenever someone went on vacation. I did. I had a little morning, little morning news report, you know, stuff. So there's I, I, I did a ton of work that summer. And it, it, again, not one shred of that was me. It was me pretending to be Tom Brokaw. It was like, OK, well, how should I act if I was going to act like an anchor? What would that look like? So I really did. I would sit there, even though I'm on a teleprompter, I had my little paper in my hand and I would like sort of tap it on the desk and go, and I'd look down at it like I was actually reading off what was blank paper. And I would sit there like this and then I would look up and with this serious knitted brow go, in other news, and I would say, blah, 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 blah. And it worked. But the, the thing that was funny was that, that I almost didn't get the scholarship because I got called into the dean's office uh, in the journalism school and said, there's been a mistake. Um, you're, you're, you did not win the scholarship. I'm like, what, what do you mean? 
And I'm like, well, this is only open to journalism students, and, and they didn't know you were not a journalism student, so you, you can't have the scholarship. I said, it, it doesn't say that. Well, no, it's a journalism school scholarship, and you're not in the journalism school. And I'm like, they didn't say anything about that. And the guy's like, well, that's, that's just what it is. I'm like, says you or says Stauffer Communications? Because I already was an arrogant little, I mean, you know, again, I was calling people at 15 saying, hey, commercial sucks. <laughs> right. So, uh, you know, I, I, I didn't, even at, even at that tender age of 20 or whatever I was, I didn't suffer fools lightly. And this man was a fool, uh, even though he was the dean. And I looked at him, I said, well, that's, that's your opinion. But what does Stauffer Communications have to say about their scholarship? And he was like, well, it doesn't matter what they say. It's a journalism school scholarship. I'm like, well, I, like, well, I, said, I said, I'm sorry, sir, but unless your name's Stauffer, that's just your opinion. I said, I'll call WIBW and I'll ask them. Well, I, uh, it's already handled. I've already, I'm like, I'm like, well, thank you. And, of course, I called WIBW and they're like, he said what? Who the hell does he think? We'll take care of this. And, and I, get a, I get a phone call 15 minutes, like, yeah, you'll, can you report tomorrow morning for work? We've got a, I'm like, yeah, so. Needless to say, they didn't let me take any more copywriting classes in the journalism school. But the, the, the funny part, here's the best part, though. The next year, there's a guy named Devin Skillian, who was in the, one year behind me, and I knew him from the theater department at KU, and he was just like me. He was an actor, he was, he, but he was, I mean, he's a good-looking guy, he had a great voice, and he was just like me. Like, he, he didn't know the first thing about being a, a news anchor, but he could sure pretend to be one. Mm-hmm. And he, he and I would talk about it. He did it the next year, applied for the same thing, and he won it. He won it. <laughs> the, he went through the same damn thing because they were like, you can't have this. And he's like, yeah, that's right. I'll call WWW. And they're like, no, you got the scholarship. And since then, that scholarship's gone almost every year to someone like in the theater department or the radio, television, film department who, like me, can pretend to be a news anchor. Oh, my gosh. And, and so, yeah, so I'm sure I'm on someone's crap list there. But, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so, but, but Devin, I'd forgotten, you know, long time. Devin has now for 40 years been the top on-camera news anchor in a couple stations like he's in Iowa or someplace. So he, he actually turned that, I'm going to pretend to be a news anchor for the weekend, for the summer, for WIBW, and it became his career, and he's been very successful at it. But, wow, I think we all could learn a little yeah. bit of uh, <laughs> something from that. You fake, know? Yeah, fake it till you make yeah, it. That's exactly. what it is. Oh, wow. Uh, Tom Kane is our guest here on, on Signal Hill, chatting about his career uh, and all about the movies, cartoons, uh, trailers, the Academy Awards, which you've done uh, five times. And we uh, time has just been flying by, Tom, and I so appreciate your time. Oh, this has been uh, great. Thank I, you. I really do. It's um, nice to get out of my cave. It's so fun. Uh, it's so fun to hear your stories and, and to listen to all of the characters that you have. And I, I imagine, as you've mentioned before, people sliding their uh, – Digital copies or what used to be tapes to you. Oh, oh, Tom, please listen, please listen. I mean, I need need you to listen. And of course, you know, people want to know how can I be? How can I get to someplace uh, like you? What's your best advice to people who would love to do something like you do? Well, it it, there's never been a better time in history to try to get into voiceover work than there is now. I mean, because of the internet, you you can not only can you find just a staggering amount of information about how to do what I do on the internet. There are actually online uh, casting facilities, if it's not facilities, but sites 
where you know you can you can pay fifty bucks a year, or I think the most the most expensive one's only like three hundred and fifty a year, four hundred a year, and you can sign up with these things, and and you know you fill out the questionnaire about what kind of voices you do, and you can upload your demo your demos, and within an hour you'll start getting copy. You'll you'll start getting auditions in your inbox for paying voiceover jobs. And, you know, they may only be 50 bucks. Mm -hmm. And it may be for, you know, some little grocery store in Poughkeepsie. But they post it on these sites, and you can download the copy, and you record it on your MacBook with your $300 microphone that you get from Guitar Center. And, you you know, you sit in your, your walk-in uh, bedroom closet, which is a, amazingly soundproof, wonderful. I, no joke. I, I, uh, I tell people that, and they look at me like, are you serious? I'm like, you have a studio in your house. You have a really, really nice soundproof room in your house already. It's called a walk-in closet if it's full of clothes. You've got carpeting on the floor. It's surrounded by sound-absorbing material. And uh, there was actually a, a woman named Tasia Valenza who was a very, very successful soap opera star, on-camera soap opera star. Um, still is. Uh, on she's I mean she's won Emmy awards I mean she's big 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 soap opera woman and she has this wonderful sort of smoky voice and they wanted her to start doing promos uh, for one of the networks that whatever her soap opera was on and they when she was recording some of the stuff for the soap opera they were like my gosh you sound great you should be doing that so she's like well she came to me and this is 20 years ago but she's like I I I'd love to do this but I don't I have no you know, I mean, she had a little house. But it was probably only a two or three million dollar home, but it was oh, you know the size of the size of a you know a little prairie village home. But that's what you get in Beverly Hills mm -hmm. for three million bucks. And she goes, I don't, I don't have any, I don't have a room. I can build a studio, whatever. And I said, well, let me come over and look around. And you know, so I'm in her house and we're wandering around. And I said, I know this is going to sound kind of weird. Can I see your bedroom? And she's like, okay. <laughs> So uh, I, we walk into her bedroom, and I said, where's your closet? And she points to because I'm, I'm thinking she's a soap opera star. She's got a decent amount of money. She's an on-camera actress. She's going to have a freaking closet. But sure enough, she opens the door, and there's what would normally be a, you know, a small child's bedroom. <laughs> but it was packed floor to ceiling, wall to wall with clothing. And I just sat there, and she looked at me she's like I'm lost my mind. I'm clapping. I'm sitting here going like this to to hear the the bounce, you know, the sound reflection in the closet. And I'm like going, this is perfect. And she's like, what do you mean? I said, just bring a chair in, bring a little stand in, put put your laptop here, and read the copy of the microphone in here, and just say, this is good enough. Well, I found out later she had ten years later she was probably making half a million dollars a year doing voiceover and She was still in that closet. Doing great. Because she's like, why? It's perfect. It sounds great. <laughs> That's awesome. I mean, the networks were like going, they thought she was in some fan. She's like, they were like, no, it's my, my walk-in closet. So. But yeah, it, you, so you can, you can today, any laptop you buy, anyone you've owned in the last five years has quality, uh, good enough stuff in it that you can record broadcast quality material on just your Microsoft or Apple or your Dell or whatever laptop, uh, it, you you can get a microphone. You know, go to Guitar Center and if you uh, just say, yeah, I, I want to do voiceovers. What's a good voice mic? And you can spend two hundred ninety nine dollars, three hundred fifty bucks, and you can get a mic that will be pretty much broadcast quality. And and uh, and a lot of people think you know you've got to spend 
thousands of dollars on every. It, it's not so much. I mean, you once you get beyond a certain point, mm -hmm. the mics are all the same. You can't you can't sound good on a ninety nine dollar mic. I don't care what it is. But if you spend now three hundred dollars, four hundred dollars, uh, you can get a mic that's that's you know they're made in China now and they're knocking off two thousand dollar mics you know from Germany. So you get that. You've got a laptop that you can plug the thing right in there. You can download software to record and uh, edit uh, stuff for 50 bucks. Uh, well, no, you can get it for free. GarageBand will do it for free. If, you know, but if you want actually a dedicated little program, you know, 50 bucks. But the end result is between your laptop, a $300 microphone, a free editing software, and your walk-in closet, you've got, you've got a studio that will sound good enough to use. It, and that's and the trick is the room. It's not so much the mic. It's not so much the laptop. It's the reason home recordings usually sound like crap is because you're in a crappy room. The sound is, you know, that's why walk-in closets full of clothes are great because they're natural, <laughs> soundproof rooms. Mm -hmm. So anyway, but but uh, yeah, go online. Uh, look for online casting services. Um, and even even uh, even if you're a rank beginner, and you're nowhere near good enough yet to book anything. That's still the right thing to do because what you'll get for your $300 a year is they'll be send, you'll get 25 pieces of copy a day. So every hour, your voice, your, your email is going to go ding, and there's going to be another script. And you're, so, you're, so without even lifting a finger, you're going to be getting scripts from 100 different agencies, from 100 different cities, from 100 different kinds of businesses, banks and restaurants and stuff. So right there, you're going to get, for your $300 a year, even if you don't ever record one of them or make a dime, you're going to have just a pile of stuff, and you can go, well, here's what's out there in the world. You can also then listen on these same sites to what people are auditioning, what they're sending in, and what their demo reels are. Mm -hmm. So you can go, okay, well, what's out there? What, you know, the people that are working in this industry, what do their demo reels sound like? Well, back in the day, you know, you couldn't get you couldn't get my demo reel unless you worked for an ad agency and you called my agent and they said, "Would you send us Tom's demo reel?" and they would put it in the mail and send them a cassette. <laughs> well, now you can go online and you can listen to 10,000 different demo reels from people. Everyone's got one on their website, their whatever. So you can sit there and go, "Okay, well what's selling? If if this guy is one of the there's like maybe Five guys in Kansas City, like literally five men and one or two women that make a living doing voiceover work. Well, all you have to do is listen to their demo reels and go, well, if it's on their reel, that's what's selling. Mm -hmm. That's what their clients are buying. And you can listen to the same, the same half a dozen people that are making money in Albany, New York, and the 110 people that are making a living doing voiceover work in Chicago. And... And I, all you got to do is listen to it and be honest with yourself and go, do I sound like that guy? Or do I sound like that guy? Am I as good as she is? Can I, can I mimic that voice? And, and don't be ashamed of mimicry because if you can get to the point where you can mimic somebody so well that it sounds like them, well, then you're doing it. At that practice. point, you, you're, yeah, it's practice, practice. Yeah. yeah. So, again, get on the Internet and look. People will be like, you know, and, again, don't <laughs> – Everybody wants to do cartoons. When someone says, oh, I want to get into voiceover work, 99.9 .9 times out of 100, what they really mean is I want to do cartoons. And what I say, which I don't want to pop people's bubbles, but I'm like, 
that's great, but nobody pays their bills during cartoons. Yeah. I don't. Jim Cummings, who's Winnie the Pooh and Tigger and whatever, he doesn't. Um, we all, it's the icing on the cupcake. Gotcha. Uh, the cupcake is commercials for most people. In my case, it's movie trailers, but for most voiceover people, what pays their bills are voiceovers for commercials for the bank. It may not be as sexy as doing Archer or SpongeBob SquarePants, but but that's what pays the bills. Because again, think about, there there just aren't that many episodes of, I mean, a, in a season of SpongeBob SquarePants, there are 20 episodes. That's it. There's 20 of them. And, and no and, guarantee that it's going right, to be back. No guarantee it's going to go past next season. And there are the average cartoon series has a grand total of four actors on it. Because under the Screen Actors Guild contract, they can have you do three voices for the same price. Wow. So if I'm already doing you know, whatever I'm doing on Clone Wars, if I'm doing Yoda and I'm doing the opening narrator, well, that's two voices. So they can just say, okay, well, Tom, do that droid because it's a third voice and they don't have to pay me anymore for it. So, so you, you, even though you may hear 12 different characters on that episode of SpongeBob, there's really only four people doing them. Uh-huh. So when you multiply, just do the math, uh, there's, honest to God, there's only about 100 people in the entire animation industry that, that they do about 75% of the work. I always tell people, numerically, it's easier to get into the NBA. Yeah. Than well, cartoons. <laughs> there's one thing for certain: there is only one Tom Kane, well, thank you. and that's and, th- and that's that enough. Is, that's a fact, Jack. Uh, hey, Tom, I uh, we're gonna wrap this up. I I want to just thank you. Oh, I, anytime. This, it's gone. I, I don't even know. I don't know how long we've gone here, but it's been uh, it's been a total blast. Well, thank you for having me. It's, like I said, um, it's very nice to get out of my cave and meet, meet I'm, some real I'm humans. telling you, from Prairie Village to Los Angeles, back to Kansas City. Star Wars, Academy Awards, and the list goes on and on and on. Uh, It's so fun uh, to to get inside your head and to hear the characters come (laughs) out and to be able to share them with everybody here on our podcast. Thank you so much, Tom My pleasure, and thank you for having me, man. I appreciate it. Anytime. Remarkable talent he is. Tom Kane, voice actor extraordinaire. I could have talked to him for another hour. But we know you don't have that kind of time, so we will move on and we will have Tom Kane back again in the near future. So fun to talk to Tom Kane. And he's right here from Kansas City. Hey, check out Signal Hill. Go to fox4kc.com and click on the podcast tab to subscribe to Signal Hill. We are available on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. And be sure to check out our website for new episodes. I'm Nick Vassos, and thanks for listening to Signal Hill.
You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.